Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. It's a beautiful Thursday morning. This is Vernon Oaks, your host of the show. And this morning, we have Mr. Steve Alves on the program with us this morning. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Vernon. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Fantastic. You know, we are celebrating the 100th anniversary of NCBA, the National Cooperative Business Association, this year. They got started in 1916, March of 1916, 100 years ago. Were you around then? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I was. In some way, I was because I have read so much history that I feel like I understand the times in which co-ops came into being, or, or rather when the Cooperative League, which was the predecessor to the NCBA, came into being, and I know who the head of it was, and I, I just know so much about it that I feel like I was there. <laughs> I've learned a lot since you know we've, we've merged with them or working this year to celebrate this 100-year anniversary. I've learned a lot about it. I mean, a car you could buy for $300 and a loaf of bread for seven cents in 1916. <laughs> yeah. World has changed a little bit since then. Yeah, it has changed in some ways and it has cha- not changed in other ways. They were still fighting the trust voraciously back then. Fighting and, the what? Uh, the the trust, the big business monopolies was a, was a big theme back then <laughs> that got a lot more attention than it got today. And Woodrow Wilson was president and uh, Louis Brandeis was uh, put on the Supreme Court, one of the great Supreme Court justices we've ever had, in my opinion. So we have an opportunity of getting another great one on, if depending on who wins this election. That's a whole other story. We won't go there yet. <laughs> if we go, it's but, related. But yes, we'll stick. We'll try to stick on topic here. <laughs> You'll keep me straight. I hope. How did you get into cooperatives, particularly coming out of filmmaking school out of UC USC University USC. of Southern California? Okay. Uh, yeah, well, my background briefly is, uh, you know, I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was a teenager, and, uh, you know, I just fell in love with the whole concept of telling stories in motion pictures. So I, I went down that trajectory, and I worked in Hollywood. I went to film school. I worked in New York. I was in the trenches making uh, low-budget features and TV commercials and trailers and then documentaries, and I loved making documentaries. I was hired by a company uh, Ken Burns had started back in the early 80s, and I ended up uh, being an editor for several years for this company called Florentine Films. And then I uh, decided I wanted to kind of do what they were doing, which was live in a more rural setting, western Massachusetts, relieve myself from uh, the industry, the hub of the film business, and start making documentaries. And this is one project that came out of that after many years of filmmaking. What project is that? Well, my little co-op, I shouldn't say little, it's about an $8 million a year business with two stores at this point, uh, came to me because they knew me as a filmmaker and they said we'd like to make a film about our store. 
And I thought, well, this isn't that nice, a nice little local film I can make. It'll take me about a year, and it'll be very pleasant to be, have uh, work next to home. And they were saying they wanted something like an employee training film. So I thought, well, that sounds pretty easy, you know, how to arrange produce and uh, and uh, attend meetings and, uh, you know, whatever, punch the clock and use the bread slicer. <laughs> and then when I met with them, they said, no, 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 that's not what we have in mind. We want people to know what a co-op is and why we are a co-op. So that's so, the training they wanted for their employees, not the skill set they of it. They, they wanted that their employees to know that. I think as co-ops get bigger, they can kind of um, lose the, the unified vision that might have happened in the earlier days. So they were experiencing a lot of that. And uh, co-ops all over the country, the big ones, are also going through the same thing. So that was the instruction I got, and as somebody who's gives used to giving direction to people as a film director, uh, I realized they had given me really great direction. So I did what I do next, which is Steve, tons me, of research. Let me go back first so I'll make sure that the audience understands. You said you're a little co-op, and it, I assume it's a food co-op. That's correct. And is it owned by the employees or by the consumers that use it? It's a consumer food co-op. So that means that the people that go in and buy the groceries are the owners. They're the members. They're the ones that vote for the board of directors. And then they have the ultimate say of how this place is run. The board of directors will hire management and management will hire staff and so forth. That's exactly right, Vernon. There are about 2,500 members of my food co-op. It was formed in the 1970s. It went through a lot of turmoil, like a lot of the co-ops, food co-ops that were formed during that period. And it managed to acquire the business skills necessary to run a profitable entity for the members. Not, it, not only members can shop there. That's an important distinction uh, that is not exclusively for members, but it is, it is owned by the members. They elect a board to oversee the operation of the store, and they principally hire a general manager, and the general manager has, has control over the operation, day-to-day operations. Okay, so I want to I want to get, get everybody to understand this. A co-op can be any business you can think of, any business whatsoever. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. Yep. And if it's owned and controlled by the people that buy or use the services, it's called a consumer cooperative. And housing co-ops and food co-ops and credit unions are in Electric this latter category. Co-ops, uh, yes, insurance co-ops, farmers co-ops. There are producer co-ops. There are marketing co-ops. Those are the other two in. Consumer co-ops. Yep. Uh, the co-ops come in many varieties, as you know, uh, but they do have one thing in common, is that they are there to serve their members. So they don't have embedded in their structure, and I think that's what makes them such a, a thing of beauty in our society. Embedded in their structure is their desire to serve their members. It is the highest priority that they have. And the members get to decide on what the terms are, on what, what it means to have a co-op and what, what need is being satisfied by that co-op. So that is ending up being something that, by necessity, you have to maintain a healthy business. It needs to maintain profits. But profits are not the sole bottom line of a cooperative endeavor. They have uh, what I call, what they call multiple bottom lines often, but what I call principles of fairness embedded into their structure. That's an interesting way of putting it. I, just, I talk about the principles of co-ops, and there are seven of them. 
mm-hmm. and profit motive is not there. It is economic. The third one is member economic participation, where they put money in and also get money back out if there's if there is a surplus or a profit. But again, yeah. that's not the main reason. You have to make money in order to stay in business, in order to grow, in order to pay your bills, and all of those kinds of things. But uh, that's not the primary, which is the capitalistic model, which I grew up under, studied under, did not know anything about this co-op model until mm-hmm. I started managing housing co-ops, and that's how I got mm-hmm. into it, Steve. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I got a couple of uh, masters, including an MBA, and never did I hear anything about co-ops. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, part of what I deal with in the film that I made, eventually I ended up making a feature-length film on the subject, which uh, is shown all over the country. You know, it's it's been everywhere. I mean, parts of it were shown in the United Nations. It's been shown at the ICA conference, National Students for Cooperation Film Festivals, and hundreds of screenings all over the country. And, you know, that's the story I tell, is that there's amazingly wonderful thing happening in our society, and it's been there for a long time, and very few people uh, outside of those that are involved in co-ops uh, know what it is or h- how it operates or how it's different. It exists within the capitalist system, but it, 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 it operates on different principles. You know, this is why I started this radio program and National Co-op Bank, when I took them the idea, they have supported it for the two and a half years we've been on to try to get more and more people to understand what co-ops are. This is a smaller radio venue so we don't have as much broadcast as I'm hoping we will have one day. But if there's anybody out there that gets this message and want to know about co-ops, I mean, go to ncb.coop or ncba.coop to get information. There's also CDF, which cdf.coop, and there are ways of for getting money to help start a co-op. And then there's the food co-op group, and I had its groceries. NCG, National Cooperative Grocers. That's Thank what, you. That's their trade organization, if that's what you were thinking yes, of. Yes, ncg.coop yeah. to get information about food co-ops. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's fascinating uh, not falling in love with it because of the seven principles. Particularly, I'm an African-American guy, Steve, and volunteer and open membership is the first principle. Mm-hmm. So you could be a member. It doesn't yeah. make any difference of your, your gender or your, yeah. or your social status or your race or how much money you got or what political affiliation you are, yeah. what your religious back. Well, it doesn't just make any difference. And, uh, oh, uh, and the, and the <laughs> wonderful thing when you get that is it never made a difference. When they established these principles back in 1844 in Rochdale, England, the universal membership that is across the board, no matter sex, religion, race, it didn't matter. Everybody was, uh, was uh, invited to be part of the co-op. And this is an issue where the treatment of human beings was, was, a, was a vile uh, thing. You know, We're still aspiring to do better. But in terms of the Industrial Revolution, in terms of uh, you know, slavery that exists in the country, these were horrible conditions. And here was an entity back then that said, no, that's not how human beings should be with each other. They should be open to each other. They're all brothers and sisters. And uh, that was their principle way back then. It's all. It's interesting that they that was their principle in England or in Rochdale. Rochdale, England. <clears throat> yep, uh, industrial town. Uh, and uh, yeah, the uh, uh, you know at that time the the 
Dickensian was a word they used to explain uh, that era. If you've ever, ever read any Charles Dickens, you know, he talks about the, the very, very poor and the horrible conditions they lived under due to industrialization. Industrialization has brought good things to us, but it really was, has brought some bad things, too. In the early years of it, uh, it was quite rough. And uh, a lot of people that were skilled artisans were all of a sudden thrown out of work as a result of mass production and industrial making of things. Sounds similar to so what's happening today. they were the today. ones who formed the first co-op. Yeah, sounds very similar to what's happening today. Steve, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, Alves. Alves, okay. We're going to take our first break, Steve. You know, it's already exciting. I love when I'm learning, and you go back all the way through this history and bring us all the way back. And I want to get to your, eventually get to Food for Change your film. We'll be right back. We're going to take the weather, the news, and a little bit of traffic. Please don't touch that dial. Fourteen fifty WOL. Information is power. That's why WOL is a great, great sponsor and supporter of this program. And National Cooperative Bank is uh, sponsoring it to give you information. Early on, uh, one of the, the folks on the program said, it's not the information that gives you the power. It is the action that you put with the information that you get the power from. So I'm hopeful that you'll get information on this program to tell you about co-ops and the benefits of co-op. And several of you, three, four, five, get together and create a co-op that would solve any community problem you have, whether that community problem is you don't have jobs, or whether that community problem is there's not schools or there's not transportation or whatever that problem is, get together, pool your resources, both in terms of money and in terms of talent. Learn what does it take to run this business and then get one started. If you don't want to start one, you can start looking for a co-op to either housing co-op or credit union or a, a business to join. National Rural Electric Co-ops, all kinds, right here in D.C., in Southern Maryland, Electrical Co-op, it's right here in Northern Virginia and Southern Maryland. And today we have Steve Alves on the program, who's a well-respected filmmaker who has gotten into creating a film called Food for Change, a two-store food cooperative, 2,500 members. So what did you learn in putting this uh, film together, this documentary? Well, I learned that I didn't, although I was a member of a food co-op, that I didn't understand what I was actually a member of. When I went to the University of Massachusetts Library and to the back stacks and I looked at the area where they had co-op books on co-ops, there were well over 100 of them. And most of them were before the 1960s. So in my diligent fashion, I took home 21 of those books, and okay. I held, held on to them for five years, and I went through each and every one of them, and many other books along the way. And I learned what uh, cooperatives, why they came into existence in America, and I used that as a way to construct a story about cooperatives in America, and the trajectory of the story is uh, the cooperatives from the Great Depression all the way through the present and into the present. Uh, and when we get into the 60s, the focus of the film becomes food co-ops and food issues. And uh, so that, you know, I thought, I know something about food co-ops. I'm a member of a food co-op. Everybody has to eat. So there was a, an idea there that I thought I could make a film that would appeal to a large audience and would help them understand what cooperatives are 
because as you may know, and as many general managers and people within cooperatives tell me, it's hard to explain what a cooperative is. You know, unless you've been part of it, it's a little abstract when you just put it in words. But when you put it in a motion picture with drama and humor and stories and people, faces that you know, Franklin Roosevelt's in the film, uh, Truman, President Truman, Nixon's in the film, uh, Elvis has got a shot in the film. I mean, oh. The film is packed with all kinds of people that you know. And um, and then, the, you know, the people that you don't know that are local heroes, you know, that were leaders in the civil rights movement and that, you know, um, participated in the war on poverty and... You know, these are the sort of unsung heroes, as I like to call them. They were all part of this great story to bring, you know, fairness, justice, you know, uh, equality in our society that can tend towards consolidation of wealth and big business and consolidation of industries, which, in my view, do a lot of harm. And co-ops are that one flickering light out there that is working in a completely diametrical way. And that is what I liked about them. It creates a lot of harm for everyday people. This, this sort of the billionaires, this one percenters getting 57%, all new wealth in uh, 2015, all new money created. 1% got 57% of all new wealth. That means that for 99% of Americans, we ended up, and I'm in that 99%, I think you are too. Maybe you're not because you're a filmmaker, (laughs) but we get 43%. So we have to spread 43% of all new wealth between 99% of American people where this 1%, they get 57. And they've created the laws, particularly the tax laws, but other laws and policies to help them make more money. And that's what the shame of it and hurts a lot of people. It's hardly what you'd call one person, one vote. This is a long story in American history. And it does go back 100 years to the beginning of the NCBA. You know, there were lots of people, and I mentioned Chief, uh, not Chief Justice, but Justice Brandeis, who was a member of the Supreme Court. He was one of the strongest voices against uh, big business, monopolies, absentee ownership, oligarchs. They had all this language for them now. We call them one one percenters, but it's really the same story, and it's the same, um, um, the same opportunities that citizens have to change that through voting and also through being members of cooperatives. Have you seen the book by Jessica Gordon-Nimhard, uh, Collective Courage? I've read that book cover to cover, and I've gotten a huge amount out of that. And whenever I read a book, I mark it out, and that book is marked up quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's been on the program a couple of times. And there's another gentleman that's writing a book, uh, David Thompson. Do you know that name? I know David very well. He's not only a great cooperative leader, he's a friend of mine, and he's uh, in my movie. He's the, actually the lead interview, since he is one of the most eminent historians and cooperative activists I really, you know, I, was, I spent a lot of time reading about him and know, knowing him before I actually asked him to, to let me interview him, and he agreed. And uh, he's a wonderful presence in the film. He um, has taught me so very much. I mean, when you start talking about the Great Depression, I mean, he's taking me back to uh, Frederick Douglass in the 1850s and when he left the U.S. as a slave and went to Rochdale or Manchester and the cooperators over there helped him raise money both by donations and helping him to speak and make money. 
that he was able to buy his freedom, so he came back a freed man. Yeah. It's fascinating that this was... That, that's another great story. Uh, W.E.B. E. Du Bois was another uh, believer and champion of cooperatives. You know, if you look at the history, which I have done, you know, a lot of, you realize co-ops have always been on the right side of the issue. They always have been promoting a people-centered economy, an economy that has moral principles at the base of it. And, you know, I embrace that. And the difference is, you know, you don't want to spend your time just opposing something. You want to roll up your sleeves, get to work, and see what you can do to make things better in your own life. And cooperatives do that. You know, you mentioned a long list of cooperatives. One of the wonderful ways that uh, co-ops are formed, purpose for a cooperative to be formed, are for child care. Mm -hmm. Another great thing you're seeing now more are senior cooperative housing. You know, when I learned about that, I wish my mother had spent her, her, her last years in a senior cooperative housing. She would have been per- that would have been a perfect place for her. Uh, and I think, you know, co-ops just provide a way of making people, average people, they turn them into leaders. Everyday, everyday people. Matter of fact, uh, when you say average, it's interesting because I have a senior housing co-op that I manage, 16 units in D.C., been managing them for 15 years, and when they got started, I don't believe any of the 16 people had a college degree, but at best probably a high school education. Mm-hmm. And they got training for a whole year. They got intensive training in the beginning, mm-hmm. and this company, this group, this nonprofit came every every meeting and made sure that they understood the financial statements and everything. And yeah. so we constantly do that training. I still do it every meeting. There's training going on. Yeah. But they run that business. And the president has been the president. She has a cheat sheet, and she'll go down at starting the meeting, every motion, she reads from it, and then closing the meeting, she has it, and it follows it. So I've gotten that you don't don't need a lot of education. You need common sense, okay, and integrity. God, if you get that. And an ability, you know, a desire to want it, to want to learn. Yes. Um, You know, you really bring out a great point. For cooperatives to be effective organizations, people that are that are on the boards and and hopefully the members too, they need to be trained in the concept of cooperation, and they need to also learn basic business skills if they're going to be effective. Some co-ops can get very tripped up by single issues or boycotts on this or that, and with good intentions they can undermine the the basic structure of their organization, of their cooperative, if they're not careful. And that's why the training, you know, it's very impressive that you said that they spent a year training them because that's what it takes. You know, I go to my board meetings and I sit there and I listen to the discussions. I've been asked to join the board many times, but at this point I want to maintain status as a member, a simple member, because I feel I'm speaking to other members. Mm And so, you know, when you see that deliberate take place, you realize how hard people are working. And then you have to learn how to disagree respectfully, how to stick with issues, how to come to some form of consensus and not get stuck and move forward. You know, these are skills that Jessica Nemhard, Professor Nemhard, talks about in her book that even when cooperatives don't last that long, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. they have a 20-year run or something like that. 
the things that they brought to the people that were part of the cooperative are great life skills. Yep, absolutely. And I've had people on the program that are in co-ops there. They've talked about that, how it moved over to their personal life, what they've learned in the business. We're having our second break, Steve. Oh, boy. This, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's going to go yeah. by real quick because I'm really enjoying it. So I already know I want you on another time. We still have another half an hour, two more segments, but we're going to take our another break. We're talking about conflict resolution and study groups and training, which is the fifth principle. We will be right back. 1450 W.O.L. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, Everything Cooperative. We're talking with Steve Alves, uh, who's a filmmaker who's created a film called Food for Change. But we've been talking about the cooperative principles but without talking about them. So I want to go over them real quick. The first principle is volunteer and open membership. The second one is democratic member control. That is one member, one vote. And Steve, I have a shirt on. I thought you might be able to see me. It's called one member, one vote dot org. Mm-hmm. Um, then the third one is member economic participation. You sometimes will put in money. It's normally a small amount of money. And then you, if there's surplus, the members can decide how their surplus goes. It could be back to the members. Mm-hmm. And in terms of dividends or in a food co-op, it could be that you could get uh, I don't know, coupons to buy food or something based on, yeah. based on how much you spend in the co-op. Correct. Uh, not based on the amount of stock because it's one member, one vote. Then the fourth one is autonomy and independence. They have to have control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and internationally sometimes, particularly in Africa, the government would want to have control of the co-ops or the businesses, and I understand that's changing too. Then the fifth one is education, training, and information. That was the second reason I love co-ops. Steve, I've been I've taught 11 years of my career, and I love when that light comes on when somebody gets the information you're trying to teach them. And then the sixth one is cooperation among cooperatives, mm-hmm. and you can get a lot of that. Then the seventh one is concern for community, and I've heard that you don't need necessarily need a, a division for social responsibility because it's in the DNA of a co-op is, is yeah. what we do. And quickly, the values of a cooperative are self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity and solidarity. And in the tradition of the founders, which we've talked about, cooperative members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and caring for others. So, Steve, I sometimes want to rate the last three persons in the race for president, the Democrats and the Republicans, to see how they fit with these values and these principles. Mm. I get a sense of who they are and how cooperative they would be in terms of identity, values, and principles. But I want to know, first off, is how can I get a copy of Food for Change? Uh, Well, there's a website, foodforchange.coop, and uh, there's a page there that says uh, support or buy, something like that. Mm -hmm. You can watch it. You can go directly and watch it online. Schools are buying the film. I'm really happy to see that. And co-ops across the country funded this film. So... When you talk about principles, one of the principles that's hit in this film, in the making of the film, there are three principles that I think uh, we have followed in making the film. One is cooperation among cooperatives. 126 co-ops across the United States, I think 34 states was the number, and uh, um, helped to support the making of this movie. So they joined together, and they cooperated, and they gave me materials, and they gave me stories, and they 
listened to my vision of the film I wanted to make, and they supported it. Uh, and the other principle that they were following and that the film was, was education, because we were all joining together in an effort to tell the story of cooperatives in America. And that purpose of that was to educate both the membership, the employees of cooperatives, and the general public, with a particular emphasis on young people, one of the original co-op principles. And then last but not least on that list of principles, the film itself, by its very nature, showing what co-ops have done over the years in various uh, eras, uh, particularly in the modern era, uh, when we go to the Twin Cities area and we look at the clustering effect of cooperatives and the power of having a critical number of co-ops in an area, you learn how they have uh, uplifted neighborhoods, uh, how they have taken areas that were blighted with lots of closed stores and plant a cooperative there against, you know, everybody's, uh, you know, the demographic uh, advice might be you shouldn't have a, a cooperative there, but they do it and the cooperative thrives and the cooperative expands. And when I filmed, they had 54 employees there with health care and good wages. And now they've got many more than that. So that concern for a community is is primarily the function of, of, a, of a cooperative, particularly food co-ops when they have stores and they're in neighborhoods. You know, it's interesting. The, the mission of NCB is to help cooperatives grow, but placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And I found in, that's in their mission statement that serve communities that are economically challenged because co-ops, well, first, most banks don't do that. <laughs> yeah. They don't go into economically challenged communities. And the other thing is interesting that a lot of economically challenged communities, that you have black folks and brown folks in there. I grew up in West Virginia, and I just came back from a trip there this weekend and went down to McDowell County, drove around, and there's poor everybody. <laughs> there's Poverty has no respect for gender or social background. It, yeah. Poverty is poverty for everybody. Yeah. Whites, blacks, browns, it doesn't mm-hmm. make any difference. But with a co-op, that's what can come in and change a community, and you're absolutely right. So these 126 co-ops came together and supported you. With inf- Did they support you with money, too? And, yeah. are, and are these food co-ops? They funded the film and the National Cooperative Bank, and there was another grant in there. But basically, yeah, I mean, I asked for a little bit of money from a lot of co-ops because documentary films take a long time to make. And they involve a lot of personnel and uh, a lot of research and archival work and shooting and uh, music composition, you name it. And, you know, it took years to make the film. And, you know, I was determined to do it right. And they they supported my vision of the film. They didn't have editorial control, but I haven't heard any complaints about the film. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I had the I had the vision, and uh, I said, this is a film I want to make. And I showed them lots of clips and things I was working on. And, you know, it takes time to to convince people that you are serious and that your goals are in line with theirs. But, um, you know, eventually I, I got there and the film is uh, something I'm really proud of. I really feel it's a, it's a, it's American history told from a point of view that you don't normally get to see. And, uh, you know, a film takes a long time to make. And then when you get it out there, you hope it's relevant <laughs> when you finish it. But one of the wonderful comments I got was in a review last year that it said the film was very timely. <laughs> okay. 
So like I'm saying, this story is, was timely 100 years ago and is timely today. It's an ongoing struggle, and cooperatives are one of the few entities I see out there that are helping average people, people low, of low income, address the, the problems, the issues in their lives and helping them in the process participate in the solution, which makes them better people. Better people, better communities, get the knowledge they need to solve problems. And when you get two or more people, they say God will be there also. But I also know that if you get need, get two or, pe- two or more people together, you're going to have conflict. You'll need God. <laughs> or the <laughs> co-op principles. Nature, right? Yeah, it's human nature. Two or more yeah. people, going to have conflict. Yeah. So how do you resolve conflict in an orderly way so you can still get things done? And that's what the training. Now, I'm, I am selling, in the process of selling my property management business to the employees, and we're creating a worker cooperative where they will own it. And it's already been a year of training. I thought yeah. this would be a three-month process, yeah. be harder, yeah. trainer, and it may be another year or so. Yeah. But in doing that, they will know how to manage. They'll learn how to manage a business and all of the aspects of it. But it's also getting folks to change from a worker mentality to a owner mentality, which everybody don't want to do, everybody won't do. But so far, these six people are going through that process. And uh, it's quite interesting. Well, you know, I mean, the the least, uh, as far as people goes, if they want a, an easy form of government that doesn't uh, require a lot of participation, you know, there's fascism. <laughs> oh, that's what <laughs> that is. If you want a, <laughs> if you want a type of government where you've got some semblance of control, you know, and it's more just than just democracy and name only, you've got to rise to the to be a, a civically educated and responsible, and uh, you can do that in a lot of ways in your life. If you're not doing it, you're going to be run over by bigness. And, you know, you talk about getting the right training. It doesn't matter how long it takes. Everything I've learned in my life takes way longer than I think it should take or want it to take. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when it's said and done and you've got the knowledge, you know, I set out to make a movie. I made the movie. It's done. It's the movie I wanted to make. I didn't think it would take as long as it took, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Nobody asked me how long it took. They look at the film and they go, I enjoyed that. I learned a lot out of it. And I got some good laughs, too, you know. Thank you. And I go, all right, I did it, you know. That's what I set out to do. I like your comments. People-centered economy with moral principles. Yeah, Uh, well, we used to have phrases like this. You know, a moral economy was one of the things the social reformers used to talk about. And they had principles. They would certify companies that produced products with moral principles. It was some of you know, the great uh, Florence Kelly was a social reformer of that era, along with Jane Adams, and they were all part of that. Henry Demarest Lloyd, I don't think anybody knows these names anymore. Mm-hmm. But these are people that I have read, along with the decisions made by Justice Louis Brandeis, and they are as relevant today as they have ever been. And part of what I, you know, my enthusiasm is to take this, this knowledge, you know, this ongoing epic struggle, and to bring it forefront uh, into our conversation today. And I can't think of a better way to do that than to talk about cooperatives. Fascinating. I, you know, I saw you at this year's Hall of Fame a meeting that 
we didn't get a chance to meet, but you, you asked a question at the end of the uh, panel discussion. So I remember mm-hmm. your face. But I was at, at these Hall of Fame dinners, and I've been on a screen, the screening committee a couple years. And I remember the first year I, there was a Papa Sin from Senegal and a Harriet May from El Paso, Texas. Mm-hmm. And they're both small in statue. She might be five feet and he may be five five. <laughs> and as I read their stories, I thought these would make great children's books. Mm-hmm. And I said that in the meeting in this group of 15 people, and I got almost no response. It, it seemed like it was like it took a minute or two to for anybody to get what I was saying. And so far, I haven't gotten any response, but I still think that would be a great way, just like your movie, is mm-hmm. you could put this in children's book. And there's, a, there's an effort about to try to put Jessica's book in a form like comic books, like a graphic novel. That's the Yeah, word. a graphic novel would be pretty good, I think. Yeah. She has some real uh, leaders in that book that would be, I think, would be suitable for, for a narrative. You know, th- that's the trick when you deal with history is a lot of information and yep. what you have to tease out is a narrative you know that was that was the challenge that i faced they were trying know. to do it for junior high school students yeah i think there's probably potential narratives in that in that book uh you know you know, people are interested in people and there were a lot of heroic people in the uh, book that she um uh that she wrote and i don't know if you know the story of if, if uh, david thompson told you about harry belafonte uh, i know Harry Belafonte's work, and yeah, I've always been an admirer of him as well. But he uh, he was not given. Um, he went to get an apartment, to lease an apartment in New York. Oh, yeah, in the I do 50s. know the story. Yeah, and he, they wouldn't lease it to him, so he sent yeah. his agent and they leased yeah. it. He got it, then he bought the yeah. building and made it into a co-op. Yeah. And think and talking about that with David, it was like, can we get some songs about co-ops? Can we get <laughs> country well, and western? Or too. maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll work on something like that. <laughs> okay. You know, I've got a, I got an avocation. I play uh, 1930s style jazz guitar. Oh my God! With, uh, with a violin player, he's like he's the one doing all the work. I'm I call myself the rhythm guy. I just gotta keep the beat. But he but, does the the virtuoso violin, and we got a little combo. Back, a couple of times before we show my film, you know, we got. A, I figure if we got a couple of hundred people in an audience, I want to play some music. <laughs> okay, we're gonna come back and talk about this beat. We're taking our final uh, break. Hours almost that we'll be right back, everybody. 1450 WOL. Information is power. You know, we've got Steve Alves on the phone who has a movie out called Food for Change. And you can go look on the web at foodforchange.coop to purchase a copy or see the film online. You know, you mentioned senior housing co-ops and you wish you, your mother had known about it or you had known about it when you look at the video or hear about those. Last week, Dennis Johnson was on the program and, you know, I could have spent three hours talking to him about yeah. senior housing co-ops and all of the benefits to the seniors. And I'm oh, in that category. And so I'm very I much... never would have guessed it. <laughs> God has been really great to me. So I'll say. I'm interested in that conversation and and sort of like if you're a senior and you're living in a home or apartment, you may become isolated, particularly if your spouse has passed or you're single. But even if you're a couple, you can become very, very isolated and that causes particular issues and maybe even depression and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
And and he had said to me that all of the videos, when they come into a multifamily co-op and they learn all the things we've been talking about, how to work together and so forth, yeah. and then they may be on the gardening committee or on the breakfast yeah. committee, or then they become alive again. Absolutely. And he said one guy, they, the first year they were there, they went to Florida for the summer, I mean for the winter. They're up in the Twin Cities, we're in a cold part. And then after that, they never went again because they had much more fun at home. And they called, and he said at home than they did going to, to the sunshine because people were a group and they did things together. Yeah. And they said they, did, they would do studies. And the cost of keeping a house mm. and the cost of living in the co-op were about the same. It wasn't like they were the, – the, yeah. they had a note, and it's called a, the maintenance fee or the co-op fee, but that includes – the a lot of times gas and electric and water and taxes and insurance and management. And more often than not, when they did the comparisons, they were about the same. Okay. So it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful way of living a better quality of life and longer being in a housing co-op, a senior housing co-op. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, my mom was in assisted living and the people that were there were wonderful. They were really caring people. But, you know, their idea of a group activity was playing bingo mm-hmm. or sitting around, sitting and listening to somebody play the piano or something like that. You know, older people live vital lives. They have children. They run there. They go to work. And they, you know, they don't want to be taken care of just like uh, they're little. They want to feel like they're participating in their lives still, you know, and uh, they need help. Uh, my mother was very infirmed. But, uh, you know, I could see her wanting to say, well, we're going to put a garden in. Where's it going to go? How's it going to go? Where is it near the sun? Are we going to get into water? You know, like thinking through with other people, how's it going to work? And, you know, or we've got a boiler problem now, and let's look at the facts here. Are we going to fix it or get a new one? Or You know, those are the things in life that you you do when you're, when you're um, you know, when you're a grown-up. and yeah. you, you want to keep that. You want to keep in that world, I think. No, I, I totally, I know. Because <laughs> yeah, I'm there. better than me, this subject. I'm the food co-op guy. <laughs> well, not, but, not only know, that, just, on everything. just my personal life. There's there's no way. Matter of fact, people have been talking about retirement. I've been trying to figure out, what do you do in retirement? What is that about? <laughs> I mean, and the only, the, the only definition I kind of like, one woman said, I get the, I'm like a, a fourth grader, I think she said, yeah, I get to play with my friends all day and I, I, I don't have all of the worries and responsibilities of life. And so yeah. I like that for retirement, but that's the first yeah. one. I get to play with my friends all day, but I still want to <laughs> do things with my friends. I want to solve issues and problems yeah. Yeah. That's where my training has been. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yes. So, um, let me tell you one thing about food for change. Okay. Uh, that I learned as a filmmaker, you don't start working on your film till after you finish it. Hmm. <laughs> so although I finished this movie, one of the big uh, things in my life, in fact, it takes up my working day and I have two part-time employees working for me and another person who does a lot of my IT stuff. Uh, we're determined to get this film out into the world. And this October, we're planning to have screenings of the film during National Co-op Month all over the country. Uh, and uh, not just, uh, you know, your average everyday kind of screening. In a number of these screenings, we're inviting congressional representatives to come to these events, and we're trying to educate our legislators to understand what co-ops are and to join the uh, cooperative uh, 
business caucus that was formed in January of this year. So far, we have one commitment from one representative, James McGovern, Massachusetts, and we are working on getting many more. I've been calling on the phone with my uh, the person who's in charge of outreach for my organization who lives in Philadelphia. Her name is Jamila Medley, and she is part of the Philadelphia Area Cooperative Alliance, and she worked for co-op, and together she and I are working very hard to organize these screenings all over the country. We are hoping to get cooperatives into the national conversation about the economy during an election year we want to talk co-op talk when people start to talk about uh, structural problems in our economy. Uh, we want to insert why co-ops are a big part of that solution. Have you talked to Liz Bailey about this? I haven't talked to Liz Bailey yet. Uh, that would be the first person I would talk to. She's phenomenal at getting things done, and mm-hmm. she knows a lot about folks on the Hill. Mm-hmm. And out of Philadelphia, Esteban Kelly. I know Esteban. Yeah, I did not. connect with him last time I was there. I've seen Esteban on, uh, you know, videos at meetings and presentations and everything. I admire him quite a bit. He's definitely a mover and shaker uh, on this uh, subject. And uh, I hope we're hoping to have a screening in Philadelphia. Uh, and um, certainly Esteban would be there and and he might even help. Well, anyway, that. Pat and I, you know, Pat Thornton is the producer. And when I said I started this program, it was really Pat and I, and it came out of her idea and work. So it wasn't me. It was more Pat Thornton who started this program. And I've just Mm -hmm. been along enjoying the ride. It's sort of like we would do anything and everything we can to help that process. Uh, Just let us know how we can support either have a screening here or two or three in the D.C. area or any place we go. And I had thought about uh, trying to get a debate on cooperatives in this election year. Okay. Yeah, that's a great idea. It would be very, very interesting debate and where we might have it. So um, I also had reached out to both Hillary and Bernie to try to get them uh, to talk more about co-ops in in their – and also to get them on this program. I don't know if Donald Trump would want to or – could, but I wouldn't mind having a conversation with him. He's not going to know much about it. I mean, you know, uh, that's my take. He's been in another another realm of the economic world. (laughs) You know, he is the epitome of capitalism. Okay, so that's that's no question about it. But yeah, egocentric capitalism. Like Leland Stanford, who started Stanford, and that's where I got my MBA. He uh, was a senator. And he was a the epitome of capitalism and, and a railroad baron. But uh. somewhere he got the light. The light came on when his son died, and that's when he started Stanford. And he created these laws, and he took them to the Senate. They didn't get passed mm. yeah. uh, to create worker co-ops. Wow. So I think there may be hope for the Donald. You know, but- <laughs> where there's life, there's hope, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you never know. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm constantly surprised as I get older where the light goes on yeah, and where it doesn't go on where you think it's going to go on. I mean, it goes the other way too, but, uh, you know, uh, every day is a new day and you get up and you do what you think is something productive in life. And if it's making the world better, then, uh, you, you get to feel virtuous, right? Yes. Well, I think <laughs> that's why we like you're part of something good and you feel more alive. I think the bigger reason I think we're here is how we can help each other. And, I've learned that by helping other people, I get helped. 
it comes in amazing kind of ways I could have never yeah. thought of. So, yeah. yeah. Well, the way I the way I look at it, you know, if you don't set your sail and you're not you're not planning on going anywhere, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. But when you set your sail and you hoist it and you rig it up there, the wind starts blowing and people start coming around that you never knew. And they want to help, and they want to be part of something, and you want to be part of what they're doing, and all of a sudden you're moving, and that's you know life is movement. Co-ops can help in all of that, whether it's childcare or senior housing or anything in between, any age, it it works. It it really really works. So, well, David know. Thompson calls it a veteran-tested model, hmm. and I agree with him. It's been around for what 180 years at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, my hope is to see it catch on more, kind of ebbs and flows. We are at a point right now where there's a lot of keen interest in cooperatives, particularly on the part of millennials. Uh, we want to show the millennials that we've got an attractive model that they can dedicate their lives to furthering. The Occupy Wall Streeters was looking for the co-op model. They didn't know what to call it, but that's what mm-hmm. they were looking for. Yeah. Just giving it to them. Well, after you get the wake-up call, then you got to get to work. And, yeah. and co-ops are the way you get to work. One of the ways, in a really good way. We only have about another minute. So what would you like to tell everybody in closing, sir? Well, all I can say is that we're hoping to have a screening in the D.C. area. Uh, screenings all over the country. Uh, you can go to the Food for Change and watch one clip from the film that's featured on the website. I change it from time to time. And um, I am uh, hoping that the thing that I did here is useful, a useful tool. The film is a useful tool to get people to understand co-ops more and um, to uh, want to be better members of their own co-ops or join a co-op or even start a co-op. Thank you, sir. Thank you so very much. I really enjoyed this. And I'd like to have you on again and help you however we can to get this screening in D.C. Everybody out there, have a wonderful, wonderful Thursday and a good week, and let's learn how to work cooperatively. Thank you. 1450 WOL.